Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better costs less than you think. Today is Thursday, December 30th, 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, our last show of 2021. We'll talk with Reverend Dr. William J. Barber for the Poor People's Campaign about the continuing fight for the Build Back Better plan, as well as for, as well as for voting rights uh, in this country. Also, uh, continue focus on the case of Kendrick Johnson, the young black man found dead, rolled up in a mat in Florida. There's still lots of questions with regarding uh, to his case. Also uh, on the show, we'll talk about one talk, one of the Minnesota jurors uh, who was involved in the, the, the uh, conviction of Kim Potter talks about those the, the deliberations and what they were like. Plus, we're going with some of the top stories in 2021. Folks, it's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. The battle continues in the nation's capital to address issues of working and poor folks in this country. And one of the leading voices on that is Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, the Poor People's Campaign. He joins us right now live on our final show of 2021. Reverend Barber, always glad to see you, uh, my fellow Alva brother. Uh, I, I've been working for the last uh, week. I've been in my basement going over all of my um, uh, archives, compiling photos and videos and uh, I've been going over uh, just a number of stuff. I, I can't. I came across uh, a lot of different photos, a lot of different videos uh, involving you uh, and others. Uh, and uh, this has been an ongoing battle, not just with, um, of course, uh, President Biden in the White House, but also has been a battle uh, going back when President uh, Obama was in the White House as well. Uh, and uh, matter of fact, I'm going to see if I can uh, show you this photo here. Uh, this is uh, Annie Cooper, 
of course, uh, from uh, Alabama. She was one of the folks uh, who was one of those foot soldiers uh, who was uh, who was this was at the uh, march you guys had uh, here in D.C. Uh, and uh, she's been on the front line for quite some time and so many others. Uh, and it's a continuous fight. Well, Roland, first of all, thank you, man, and glad you're well. Um, it is, and until America decides that we cannot just marginalize the issue of poverty and low wealth, it's, it's morally indefensible. You, you can't say you believe in anything in our Constitution, our Bible, and allow 140 million people to live in poverty and low wealth in the wealthiest nation in the world. Is is constitutionally inconsistent because we're supposed to establish justice, and it's nothing just about about that. It's nothing just about billionaires made two trillion dollars doing COVID while eight million more people fell into poverty. Uh, it's nothing just about that. And then lastly, it's economically insane, man. It, 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 it it's a drag on the economy. You know, when you refuse to pass something as simple as a fifteen dollar minimum wage as a living wage. You hurt the whole gross domestic product uh, of this country. And then lastly, it's politically um, uh, just um, foolish because poor and low wealth people now make up 40% of the electorate in battleground states and 30% of the electorate in other states. That's the sleeping giant that when it wakes up, it can fundamentally shift uh, uh, the politics. So whether it's Democrats, Republicans, Obama or Biden or Trump, or, or Schumer or, or McConnell, it is just absolutely wrong to be ignoring the reality, especially when rolling. There's no scarcity of resources and or scarcity of ideas to fix it. It's just the scarcity of moral consciousness to address it. I mean, it's a perfect example. So you, we, we saw Democrats, moderate Democrats, people like Senator Joe Manchin demanding a uh, congressional budget office score uh, of the um, initial Build Back Better plan. Uh, and they kept talking about the impact it's going to have on the federal deficit and how, why it's gone. Yet, ask for nothing. Nothing. When they pass easily a $7 billion, a $7 trillion defense budget. Here we were talking about $3.5 trillion down to $3.5 trillion down to $1.8 trillion. And it was all this consternation and, oh, my goodness, what we going to do? Uh, but over here, seven, almost eight trillion dollars. No problem. Go right ahead. No problem. Over the same 10 year period, you know, and that's and, and all of those are red herrings. It's, it's you know, we are trapped. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Sachs just wrote an article uh, where he talked about the trap of neoliberalism and the trap of trickle down. Since Ronald Reagan, we're trapped in that foolishness. And then, of course, Ronald, as you know, and I talk about all the time, there's some racism, there's racism inside of all of that, and classism inside of all of that. But at the end of the day, it's pure greed. And with somebody like Manchin, and I, you know, I'm I'm at the point, and I'm going in the new year a little different, uh, Roland. I'm just not pulling any more punches. Dr. King said moderates were the worst enemy of the civil rights movement. He said that in a letter for the Birmingham jail. The people who go around claiming to be moderates, what they really mean is how to figure out how not to do stuff <laughs> or to do the least amount of it. Moderates really mean people who are really tied into corporate dollars and profit, but they try to act as though they really are not. They're just, they're just in the middle trying to save the country when in fact that's not happening. 
Take, for instance, this Build Back Better plan. Let's tell you why folk need to be fighting. First of all, we've already given over $4 trillion to corporations, Lord, in, in less than 20 months. Just People just need to grab that for a minute. Here we are talking about $1.8 trillion over 10 years, which is $180 billion a year. We've already given nearly $4 trillion to corporations in less than 20 months. So to just, just throw that lie that we don't have the money out the window. Secondly, when you think about something like the Build Back Better plan, it is a step. It's not transformative. It's not an in-all. It's a response. It's a step. It's not even as much as we need. The Economic Policy Institute says we need a trillion dollars a year for 10 trillion to address where people were in poverty and lower prior to COVID and then the aftermath. But look at, for instance, the, the child tax credit. We're talking about 35 million households being helped. We're talking about poor families. Now, who are they? Well, 33% of poor and low wealth people are white. 33% of them, that's 66 million Americans. 60.9% of black Americans are poor and low wealth. That's 26 million black Americans, 73 million women. So if you are against the Build Back Better plan and child tax credit, it's a form of racism and it's a form of classism. Go to the earned income tax credit. The earned income tax credit will benefit 17 million low wage workers. 10 million of them are white. 2.8 million of them are black. 2.8 million are, are Latinos. 678,000 are Asian. If you look at universal uh, pre-K for uh, for three and four year olds, that will benefit six million children. If you look at Medicaid, the, the additional Medicaid coverage gap that's in this bill, that's four million uninsured people. But Roland, it's one point three million people of color who are currently uninsured, even in the midst of COVID, that would become uninsured. And then lastly, if you raise the wages, because inside this bill it raises wages for home health care workers. You know, the folk that come to your house and and clean you up and help you out. 28% of those home health care workers are black. 23% of them are Latino. So this bill, unlike the infrastructure bill, most of that money is going to white contractors, but the, the males, but the big BBB, the majority of this money will benefit poor and low wage people and a large portion of African-American and other people of color. So when you block this, and try to stop it. What Manson is doing, it is not only hurting, it's hurting people, it's specifically uh, a matter of racism and class. That's why we cannot let a phony deadline of December be our deadline. Our deadline has to be victory. And lastly, we cannot separate the battle for economics from the battle for voting rights. That's a trick. They, right now, they're trying to get the black community to focus all of our attention in January and on the King Day on just voting rights and forget the Build Back Better plan. That is not King. That's not what Dr. King would have done. He said three triune evils, poverty, militarism, and, and racism have to be addressed simultaneously. And you know, Roland, one more stat. The child tax credit income, part of that part of this bill, one military contract to Lockheed Martin for one year would pay for the entire entire child tax credit one just one contract would play for the whole 10 years 
So this is a serious moment in our history. And we better be careful that we don't let people bifurcate us where black folk gonna be over here voting, fighting for voting rights, unions over here for this other stuff. No, no, no. These are simultaneous battles. That's right. And that's why the Poor People's Campaign is not backing up. You know, we were in West Virginia on Christmas Eve. We're announcing on the 7th, we're gonna launch a call-in. Since COVID's keeping us from sitting in, we're gonna do a cold call-in every day until we win until we beat this and we're we're going to do other things throughout the course of the year i'll be talking about you if you know uh bringing my panel now reese Culver, black women views greg carr department of afro-american studies howard university faraj muhammad radio tv host uh i'll start off with you uh reese question or comment for reverend barbara hi reverend barbara it is always an honor to be in your company um you know you talked about not pulling any punches you know, what is your stance beyond Joe Manchin, um, the resistance of the Democratic Senate caucus towards some of these large, uh, you know, priorities like Build Back Better and the voting rights? Well, you know, we have to say Manchin was the front person, there are about 13 so-called moderate Democrats, and they're all um, basically, you know, um, 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 resisting. We, we knew we had a big problem when the American Rescue Act was being pushed through and Manchin and Cinema and some of these other moderates voted to take the $15 uh, living wage uh, out of the bill. Now, <clears throat> people didn't call that racism, but if you look closer, that would have impacted 32 million Americans and over 40% of black people would have been raised out of poverty and low wealth with just one vote, one bill. And a black vice president, a female, would have passed the deciding vote. So one of the things we've got to do is attack the whole system. We've got to challenge the moderates. We have to challenge cinema and mansion. So one of the things we're doing, based on what we have seen this year in, in, in the inability of this Congress to act, inability of Democrats, even with the majority, and the way in which some of our people, I think, are, are making, we think, strategic mistakes, we're calling for a mass poor people's low-wage workers assembly and moral march on washington on june 18 2020 we're going to begin a, and not just as an event not just as a day but as a declaration and on that day june 18 2022 june 18 2022 that's right i'm sorry and on that day we're going to put in front of america her own self this is not going to be a place for for for, for people to speak on behalf of people but we're going to bring Kansas farmers and black low-wage workers together, people from Appalachia and from the Delta, with economists, with religious leaders. And we're laying out an agenda. It's not just to be mad. It's, to, it's declaring a third reconstruction agenda is needed. We're going to say what that agenda is. But watch this. It's going to be a march on Washington to nationalize states and then from Washington to the polls because we're going to organize, and we are organizing, a significant number of this poor and low wealthy. We've done some data and found out that in, in most battleground states, it would take less than 22% of poor and low wealth voters who are already registered, who didn't vote in the last election, to change the, the outcomes of elections in that state. Most of them don't vote because they never hear Democrats or Republicans talking about poverty and low wealth. What we're doing is saying you got to start voting for yourself. You have to start exercising your power. So we're trying to wake up this sleeping giant and, and, have an, and shift the moral narrative in this country and build political power 
Otherwise, the moderates are going to continue to do what they do, which is always move more in terms of gradualism than fundamental change. Faraji. Good evening, William. Uh, good evening, Reverend Barber. This is always a pleasure to uh, to talk to you, sir. Uh, first and foremost, I truly, truly appreciate the work that you continue to do um, on behalf of the, the poor and the voiceless. But my big question is, uh, uh, Brother Reverend, is that we know that there is a political will, but something that you always speak about is having the moral will. We know that a lot of, of these uh, uh, politicians, they, they have the resource. They can do, like you were saying, you're putting out this, you're painting a beautiful picture in terms of what can change if they just have, if they just decide to do the right thing. And that's the moral will. How do we get these politicians, these lawmakers to have the moral will to move forward on, on such a powerful, powerful piece of legislation like this Build Back Better um, uh, a bill here. Well, I think one thing we have to call it a step. You know, we've resisted calling it over. I think Democrats overplay stuff too much. They, you know, they think this is the most transformative. This is the most money since the, uh, the Great Depression. Well, that's actually not a good thing to say. <laughs> if if one point eight trillion dollars is the most that we spent since the Great Depression, considering the problems that exist in this country, but it's a step, right? So one of the things we're doing in the in the poor people's camp, you know, we have 47 coordinating committees now, and, and, and we are committed not just to marching and sending letters, but we're committed to nonviolent civil disobedience if necessary. We're committed to, we, we're organizing with religious leaders and advocates in all these states. And so when I say that we're mobilizing towards June 18th, <coughs> that doesn't mean we're just organizing for a gathering. You know, mm -hmm. we're organizing that. I, I won't say right now everything that's going to happen leading up to that and everything's going to happen that week. But I will tell you that you only create moral will by creating moral tension. Mm. And, and that, I mean, just to not, and anybody that tells you, I don't care if they're a black leader. I don't care if they run a civil rights organization. If they call activism in the street mere performance, if they call people putting their bodies on the line here before and suggest that they can do everything in the back room through that they don't know history they don't know how to do they're not honest about political power and it just doesn't make any sense so we intend to create moral tension in this year coming we intend to put people together who you normally don't think would be together you know we lost if it wasn't for covid we had to be smart we launched more mondays nationally in washington dc and had the largest number of people ever arrested in D.C. at one time happened this past summer. Now, it was somewhat hindered, you know, because of COVID restrictions. But I'm telling you, the people that I talk to, whether they are in they're, they're, they're Latinos, whether they're Deep South, or not, they are tired, sick and tired. Not the kind of tired that wants to quit. But what this Congress has not done has only emboldened mm -hmm. their sense of a need of agitation and moral tension. Uh, 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 you, you never get any transformation. That's why you will constantly hear me say, the movement we're building includes all people and, we, and the people who are leading it, who are at the front, I'm a servant of the movement. I'm not the leader of the movement, I'm a servant of the movement. Because the real leaders are the people who have to live in this craziness every day, who, have to, who, are the, who feel the brunt of these bad policies every day. Mm. They, far too often not been elevated. What has happened is people speak for them or people go in back rooms claiming they're for them. Well, it's time to put them in the front room and on the front stage 
and at the mic and if necessary in the street and wherever until we create the necessary moral tension is the only way you're going to get put it like this brother you will never get moral implementation without moral imagination and moral agitation thank you great car thank you one alpha, one alpha to another alpha <laughs> indeed thank you brother roland and it's always good to see you uh brother dr barber um Indeed, indeed. There ain't but one way to go. <laughs> but to, uh, you, you evoked uh, our fair brother, Martin Luther King, of course, and, and you certainly are in that in that work, in that arc. Sounds a whole lot like uh, you, you're updating um, and moving forward in a 21st century version of the Poor People's Campaign. And we know that that was met with violence, that the state state violence is real. And, and, I, and I and I joined Reese and um, Faraji in thanking you and being in full support and in also hearing what you said about going into this year differently. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems to me that uh, many people in this country treat this country as a means to an end. And I guess my question to you is whether or not we have to do the same thing, uh, particularly given that all the high rhetoric of America and we're better than this, Nothing in the historical record supports any of that. And what you're talking about as a moral standard sounds a lot like Martin Luther King. Uh, on, in, on July 18th, before, as you say, what you all launched earlier when COVID intervened with, with the campaign here in D.C., you know, could you help, uh, help us by maybe helping people understand what is at stake if, in fact, this strategy of it, it hitting the ballot boxes, increasing the electorate, bringing people in, if that strategy does not succeed, what's next for this settler state that has never been a nation, in fact, and has never really had a moral standard that they live uh, up to? What will be next in this country if this doesn't succeed? Well, you know, I see the declaration, this day of declaration that we're making on June 18th, where we declare we won't be silent anymore uh, as, you know, as, as critical to the future of a possibility. You know, America has possibility and it's often um, um, destroyed its own possibility. You know, Dr. King talked about the, the um, we have an anemia of deeds, <laughs> the high blood pressure of creed. And, you know, but you can also go back to Frederick Douglass uh, after the Dred Scott decision. And we use a lot of our modeling too from the first reconstruction movement as well as the civil rights movement. Frederick Douglass, after Dred Scott decision, called it a monstrous decision. And he said, but every attempt to ally the um, um, abolition movement has only served to intensify and embolden our agitation. And when they passed the Dred Scott decision, um, Frederick Douglass said something I think about a lot. He said, could this be a necessary link in the chain of events to the downfall of the entire uh, system of slavery. And I think we are at an either or moment. Uh, either this country is going to re respond to nonviolent moral tension, uh, massive turnout at the polls of people that are impacted, uh, moral outcry, and shift, uh, and, 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 and move a little bit further toward the goal. Because you know, the goals are so lofty. Or we're going to have a major implosion. We're already in the middle of one. Uh, look at all of the people that walked off their jobs in the middle of COVID workers. Uh, there's no way we can maintain any sense of domestic tranquility 
over the long haul, when you have nearly 43% of your people living in poverty and low wealth right now. And I think that's what I love about Roland. He's telling it because a lot of the media don't want to talk about this. In the 21st century, 43% of Americans can't afford a $500 emergency. Think about that. In a country that has a gross domestic product of over $21 trillion, less than 31% of Americans can afford a $1,000 emergency. Right now, over 52% of our children live in poverty low wealth, and it doesn't have to exist. You cannot maintain domestic tranquility and peace with those numbers existing and growing. Eight million more folk fell into poverty during COVID while billionaires made $2 trillion in the last 20 months. Eventually, that is too much of a strain on the farce of equality. Right now, we have a farce of equality, right? And you and, and you got to face it, because if you don't face it, we could be talking about over 50% of our people in this country living in poverty and low wealth in not too, in the not-too-distant future. Now, at some point, that's going to implode and explode, right? Unless there is a response. That's one of the reasons why we've said, even in this battle over COVID, we said to the White House, and you all should know, we've been begging them, let poor and low-wealth people have literally come in and talk to Biden and then let them go to the mic and say to America, why this stuff has to happen. We said to some rights leaders, you got to go to West Virginia and join with people and put pressure on men. He, what he is doing is setting this country up for a major failure. And I'm afraid for the country. I'm going to be quite honest. Yes, when you look at the level of systemic racism, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, the denial of health care, and this war economy, you just heard Roland say we can commit $7 trillion to war $7 billion a year, and we can't contribute $1.8 billion to help people come up. And then you look on top of that, uh, this false moral narrative of religious nationalism, we already saw a taste of what could happen on Jan January 6th on that side. But I'm telling you, I've, I have fear for this country if it keeps refu refusing to respond to moral and nonviolent crimes. The level of economic pain in this country, right in the face of all of this opulence, is a dangerous mixture. It is it is dangerous. And, and that's why people that I know and I'm talking to, whether they be white mamas in Appalachia or black mamas in the Delta, they're willing to put it all on life. In fact, you know what they tell me, Doc, when we go meet with them in those places, they said, we have no choice but to fight. Our backs are against the wall. Now, either they're going to fight in a nonviolent way, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a moral way, and the nation respond. But if the nation keeps dismissing that, that energy is going to go somewhere. Yes, sir. It's going somewhere. It's not going to just go away, particularly <laughs> as the pain continues to exacerbate. And what COVID has done is it has exacerbated the, 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 the realities of racism and poverty. And in a strange sense, this sickness has given us a chance to get well. Hmm. And if we cannot respond with a level of grace and compassion and morality in our public policy after 800,000 and growing deaths, 
if America is going to continue to say this kind of death is acceptable, on top of the fact that before COVID, a quarter million people died every year from poverty, mm -hmm. 700 people a day from poverty, and it's still growing. And if you can't respond, if this, if this death doesn't scare us to life and scare us to a new kind of public policy, I fear for the future of this nation. Well, which is which is why, Reverend Barbara, I, I believe what has to happen um, as we, you know, look, once we go into the new year, <clears throat> you talked about MLK Day, uh, any anybody, any Democrat, uh, any Republican who tries to send out an MLK quote or some Lord. crap like that uh, need to be eviscerated. Uh, I would say uh, to any of these civil rights organizations uh, who are being uh, quiet, talking uh, in closed rooms, but not out publicly, uh, should be called out as well because King was not quiet. Uh, and so I, I don't want to hear all these folk uh, praise uh, MLK. As I always say, treat him like a civil rights bobblehead uh, and, and like a civil rights mascot, as opposed to talking about the things that he was fighting for. If you, if you ain't there, I, I, I just just don't even say nothing uh, yeah. on that day or that weekend. Yeah, I'm I'm writing a piece, Roland, with some other folks. So I got convicted in the spirit to write a piece called "Who's Killing the Democracy." Mm. And when Bobby King did a piece called "Who's Kill, Who Killed Jimmy Lee Jackson," who killed James, and you know, in that piece, he named everybody. He named black leaders that weren't doing what they were supposed to do. He named preachers. He named the white clan. He named moderates because he said we at some point you have to do an autopsy. And the reality is, even when I see people trying to one issue, Dr. King, or one issue today, you know, just voting right. No, 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 no. Martin was very clear to us. If you don't address these triune evil, and we say today it's not triune, it's a seven-dimensional evil. It's, it's systemic racism. Systemic poverty, ecological devastation, denial of health care, this war economy, uh, the undermining of our children's uh, possibility in education, and the false moral narrative of religious nationalism. And they are all interlocking injustices. And we need an, we need an intersectional moral fusion movement to address them. And God help us if we don't. Mm. All right. Uh, the Barbara, uh, congratulations, man, on, uh, look, the, the battle continues uh, another year of being on the front line. Uh, your health has been holding up. It's been very difficult. You've had to deal with a lot of grief this year as well. Uh, folks um, uh, are passing away and, you know, uh, people, people, people uh, love to go, to go go to the preacher, the senior pastor, and put all of their cares on them. But the reality is our leaders need to be prayed for as well. Uh, and need uh, need respite. Uh, Dr. King understood getting away. Uh, he would often go to Jamaica and other places to rest uh, and relax. So uh, hope you do the same. And uh, we're gonna be right there with you on the front lines in 2022. Uh, our, our cameras will be there live streaming as well because at the end of the day, uh, we're not gonna get the kind of attention that we need from mainstream media. And I'm not interested in even asking them uh, anymore. It's just a matter of us creating our own platforms to be able to tell our own story. Amen. Thank you for all you do, Doctor. We pray for you, the whole panel, and thank you for that advice, brother, because every now and then we do need to step away in order to keep stepping on. But yes, God sir. Be. I appreciate Take it. Thanks a lot. Tell the family a happy new year. Sure will.
All right, uh, gonna go to a break. Uh, we come back. Uh, we're gonna talk more with our panel uh, on on that conversation we just had with Reverend uh, Barbara right here on Rural Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Time to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I got to defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own. A Black man owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Rolling was amazing on that. Hey, Black, I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You dig? Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Uh, 14 year old uh, Niall Foggy was last seen December 18th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Niall is five feet, five inches tall, 110 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. She has dimples in both cheeks, and both of her ears are pierced. If you have any information, call the Philadelphia Police Department at 215 418 0265. 215 418 0265. All right, I want to bring my panel uh, back in here. The, the, the conversation that we just had, I think, 
really is an important one. And, and, and I want to start. I want to start, um, Reese, where uh, Dr. Barber talked about how we can't separate the economics from voting. <clears throat> and it, it, it's always interesting to me when I listen to people and, and they want to talk about public policy. I, I was just uh, on the fan base app in the chat room and some folks were talking about, you know, how, you know, we just give our vote to the Democrats as if black people don't think we actually do. Uh, in fact, uh, we think far more diligently about how we vote than frankly than a whole bunch of other people. And one of the things that um, um, folks were saying, well, you know, uh, with the CDC, they ain't doing this and not doing that. And then I had to remind them, I said, well, um, that's not true. The George Floyd Justice Act passed the House. CDC led that uh, before the People Act, the John Lewis Act. I mean, I went on and on and on. And so we're very good at criticizing our institutions, saying they ain't doing this and not doing that. When in fact, they, they are doing stuff. And what you see, what Reverend Barber is talking about here is you cannot talk about voting rights and ignore the economic reality of what that what what, the, what those votes mean. I go back to Maynard Jackson when he became mayor of the city of Atlanta. Black people were getting point zero zero one two percent of all city contracts. And he came in and mm -hmm. said this is going to change. His grandfather taught him the three B's, the ballot, the book and the buck. And so he could he understood how political power can drive economic power uh, and those two things went together and so uh, when they were when they were about to uh, redo the Atlanta airport uh, he said point blank tumbleweeds will be rolling down this runway before I allow it to be reconstructed without significant black participation it's the it's the economics Marion Barry understood that uh, 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 Coleman Young in Detroit understood that uh, Hatcher in uh, Gary, Indiana, Stokes in Cleveland. Those black mayors uh, understood that. And so uh, what do you think is going to require for us to get folks to understand you cannot talk about voting if you don't talk about the money? Um, maybe Putin deciding that black people should be very much attuned to this, particularly on social media, because it seems like our attention span on social media and the narratives that are driving it are about chaos, are about discontent, as opposed to um, education and empowerment, and really understanding how to move the needle. I mean, I was pretty appalled when I saw a lot of the feedback. And granted, I've talked about disinformation campaigns and how some of what we see is manufactured or artificially boosted. But I was very much appalled when I saw the reaction to when Vice President Kamala Harris, for instance, was touting the child care tax credit or the child tax credit, that people were saying things like, I don't care, sis, cancel my student debt or, you know, being very dismissive of it. Or even when she laid out the lead pipe removal or lead water removal plants and people were, again, talking about, you know, what other things that haven't been done as though these are not issues that particularly impact our community. And so I think we have a breakdown in our communications. We have a civics breakdown and, you know, people are more focused on what is driving discontent. I understand that voting rights is touted as the black issue, even though it's not just something that affects black people. You have disabled or differently abled people who are, uh, you know, uh, disenfranchised through different voting measures, um, Native American community, et cetera, et cetera. 
And even when it comes to the Latino community down in Texas, they're getting notes about verifying their citizenship in order to be able to vote. So, you know, the voting issue and even civil and, and uh, criminal justice are touted as the black issues. And that allows people to really take their eye off the ball on a lot of these economic issues that are impacting us, particularly the environmental justice issues with all the money that's going in the, in the American infrastructure plan. And so I think we have to broaden our own lens. We have to broaden our emphasis and our focus and hold people's fuel to the fire because it's inexcusable that, you know, you have people more up in arms about a hashtag, cancel student debt hashtag, or more up in arms about whatever, you know, Charlemagne and, and it's, you know, said to, to Vice President Kamala Harris, when there's billions of dollars in farm Black farmers aid that is being held up because of a lawsuit and there's no galvanization in our community around that whatsoever. So we, you know, I, are, 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 I will never, ever, ever absolve politicians from their job. You know, I stay on Chuck Schumer's ass about stuff because nobody else seems to do it. But I think as a community, we need to show that maturity, that electoral and that civic maturity to start paying more attention to all of these issues that are impacting us in particular. The, the, the thing that the thing that 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 get, gets me um um uh, on this whole thing Faraji, is when I, I listen to people and again i mean i literally was just in this chat room and a brother and i mentioned the amount of money the hbcus have received over the past 18 months and it was met with well they give us some trinkets and i'm like we're talking <laughs> mm -hmm. and i literally and i literally said in in I said, I said, do y'all realize that the federal government has given Tennessee State, Greg's alma mater, more money in the last year than the state of Tennessee gives Tennessee State, and it's a four-year school. Hmm. Hmm. I, I said. On average, these HBCUs have received twenty-five thousand per pupil. Ah, uh, ah. What Reese just said about child tax credit? Yeah, ah. Uh, okay. What PPP? Ah. Uh, well, well, damn. Please, I mean, please, please show me then. Uh. Like, well, what's worthy then? Mm. I mean, it, 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 and, and again, I, I'm all about holding folks accountable. Mm -hmm. But I, I cannot dismiss what actually happened in 2021 when, when, when that was a complaint about the lack of black business getting PPP loans. They literally created a special period for Black-owned businesses partnered with the National Bankers Association, the Black-owned banks. We had them right here on the show. I hear, uh, well, and I'm like, well, damn. And so it's not a question of, well, you must show your gratitude. No, it's called being honest about what has actually happened. All, all these pseudo- so-called, you know, black power folk who love mm. trashing this show. 
Not one time have I seen them call John Boyd. Mm. To Reese's point. He's been on here multiple times. So it's amazing how pro-black a lot of folk are, but they ain't saying... Then I had somebody say, well, that's a drop in the bucket for the black farmers. Well, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think a couple of things, Brother Roland. First and foremost, I mean, I think that people are seeing all that, that that, that they experience. Like, when you listen to Reverend Barber about... I mean, he was just breaking down the data in terms of the number of people in this country that are poor. And, and you know, not to put prop anybody up here. I mean, I, you know, we're all just a couple of paychecks shy, might be, you know, of being in certain, you know, categories. But when you look at how many challenges that are on the table that are facing black people in this country, and then the pace of progress, it's so slow that you're, you're creating a, a culture of frustration. You're creating a situation where people are just feeling like uh, there isn't enough. That's not enough. That's not enough. But I think to your point, it, it, it the ball has to start rolling somewhere. The trinkle or the little bit here is just the beginning point. And it's unfortunate. The, the unfortunate part about this whole dynamic is the fact that with each new administration, with each new congressperson, we got to kind of go back to square one. And that's the frustration. We got we to gotta try to, to, to appeal our case again to lawmakers. We got we to, gotta, like, the, like the good reverend said, we got to add the moral tension again and again and again. Every four to eight years, we got to continue to put on the gas. But that's part of building a movement that is the necessity that there has to be consistent effort we we tout the great names of dr king malcolm x and fannie lou Heyman and all of those but one of the great things and character traits that they each one of those folks had is they never gave up they never stopped having the faith they persevered and they took every gain that came to them that was that was the thing Every time there is a small win, they they took it and move and build the momentum from that small win to move forward. But and that's how we have to see. Look, this is the United States government, folks. Do you truly, truly believe the United States government, one of the most wicked governments in the history of this world, uh, if not the wicked, most wicked? Do you truly believe that they have to give us anything that they want to give us anything? So we, we, we have to put things in its proper context and perspective to look at it, that if we're making some moral gains, if we're getting $5 billion for black farmers, or if we're getting money for HBCUs, we got to take that win, but at the same time, keep the foot on the gas so we can keep it up the ass of those who want to make sure that they that they trying to stop the progress. I mean, the, the Reverend, I'll end it like this. Reverend Barbara said, that one bill could have saved 32 million Americans. One bill, one vote. And look at how the heart of the lawmakers have just hardened to the point they don't even give a damn. So we got to get into a space that we got to take the wins, but we got to keep that foot on the gas to keep it up the ass of all these lawmakers to make sure that they understand that we got to be serious about our own progress and freedom. We got to be serious about our own movement and revolution. 
But the problem I see with this, Greg, is when it is a singular conversation. What I mean mm-hmm. by that, what I mean by that is we for, for some reason, whenever we have these conversations, it always reverts back to the federal government mm-hmm. without realizing that if you actually add up the state budgets, they exceed federal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about how do we make economic change, li- li- literally, I, I, somebody made a statement. Um, somebody made a statement in this chat room about how we own all this stuff before the Voting Rights Act, and now we don't. I said, well, us voting, they had nothing to do with that. Mm. I said, what we owned before, Mm. I said, doing Jim Crow was because Mm. we couldn't live and eat and work anywhere else. I said, Mm. then when integration came, we then uh, went went all about. So I then said, well, okay, so if we're if we keep having this gentrification conversation, I remember when I was moderating the National Urban League State of Black America report and gentrification, one of the big issues. And I, I turned to the audience and I said, I'm sorry, are we going to have a conversation about gentrification or are we going to come back a year from now? And the National Urban League has created an investment fund to buy up the land that's in our neighborhoods. So therefore, we still own it. See, see, I mean, so we, we can sit here. It's like I had these same so-called pro-black Negroes dogging me for demanding corporations spend advertising money with black-owned media when we're buying their cars, their hamburgers, their shoes, their clothes, their jewelry, and everything. And I'm going, so how do you think we actually grow when CNN and Disney and Fox and ABC and CBS, they they are worth billions from the same ad dollars, but I shouldn't be demanding any of those ad dollars, but then you want us to cover stuff, so how are we going to cover it if we ain't got the money to cover it? And so at, at, at some point, We've got to also look at, as, as Reverend Barber said, Dr. King did, we get to challenge some black folks on what our game plans are, or are we only going to talk about hyperventilate about the problem as opposed to say, no, here's a plan of action. Now we're going to get it. I ain't had no problem saying we put together a plan of action and went after the money. And we've gotten some of the money. We ain't gotten all that we're supposed to get. But we still going after it. But I'll be damned if I'm going to sit here and say, yeah, no, no, no. Why are you out there uh, begging the white man? <laughs> but you shop at their store. Right. Right. Oh, I'm begging the white man. Or rolling out here begging. No, it's called making a demand. Damn. Sound to me is the same. So to me, the challenge for black folks in 2022 is we got to be as equally vigilant in challenging ourselves on what is our non-political game plan as opposed to what's our political game plan, Greg. Yes. Mm. Yes. 
we're on a collision course, not just in this little imaginary corner of the globe called United States of America, but as a human species. While we're having this conversation right now in Chile, they are deep in the process of writing a new constitution. The old one they have, which comes from the United States abetted coup d'etat in 1973 against Salvador Allende, resulting in his murder and the installation of a dictator, Augusto Pinochet, who basically wrote a constitution with his cronies to give away all the natural resources of Chile, is being thrown out. And they just elected a 34-year-old who is squarely in the camp with the people who say we must now build a new society. That's impossible in the United States of America, which was started as a commercial criminal enterprise. And Reverend Barber, our brother, as he said, walking into 2022 with a different attitude is is firmly on a collision course. So are you, Roland. You're not going to censor what you say. You're not going to uh, not speak truth to power, regardless if you get a billion dollars from advertisements, uh, white advertisers, white companies or one penny or nothing. And I think that, too, puts you on a collision course, puts us on a collision course, because the system we are in is unsustainable. We heard mm. talking about that. Uh, one of the most difficult things we have to face in this moment, of course, is and recently he's bringing this up in terms of the disinformation dimension of it, is the saturation of media. Mm. There is so mm -hmm. much to watch that people tend to watch nothing. There was a recent poll in the UK, which asked the population there, who do you trust for COVID advice? The number one category was friends and family. Mm. <laughs> because in, 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 in a, mm. you know, not doctors, not, why? Because when there is white noise everywhere all the time, you tend to go to the thing that you can feel like you can rely on the most. And that is a yep. very local conversation. Now, the problem of course with that is that there are no local conversations in a modern world system because there are people who are monitoring the whole thing at one time. This young guy was elected president of Chile and the markets immediately attacked him. And you see the Chilean stock market begin to dip. Why? Because the market has other interests than the people. This is why there's a collision course. And so they're going to try to force that Chilean government right by pulling out investments. Last year, corporate entities made 12.1 trillion dollars 12.1 trillion dollars last year clubhouse which was the hottest thing in the world a few months ago and now couldn't sell water in the desert doesn't need to make money why because they have been funded by the billions for people who understand they have different interests than building community Last year, these special, and I know you know this better now, these special purchase acquisition entities, what they call blank check corporations, they raised $152 billion last year. Uh, uh, companies that went public and private. No, 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 don't, don't run past that. Blank check companies that, you know, raised, that, that raised billions of dollars yes, sir. with no business plan. Come and on. then after they raised the billions, then they go out and then identify what they're going to buy then they buy it like y'all like no let me say this again <clears throat> no business plan just some white guys going hey let's create a spec and then they go sure here's 10 billion dollars and now this pro this publicly traded company is created spec is created and then they go hey we want to come buy y'all and then all of a sudden Boom, publicly traded company. Y'all, don't even think for a second 
I could go get ten thousand dollars right with, without a detailed business plan. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. See, Meanwhile, see, all, they, yes, right. right. Go ahead, bro. No, no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, meanwhile, they just gave Donald Trump's new media company billions. I mean, he wrote him a blank check, bro. Come on. And 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 because of the way it's set up, we don't actually know who's funding it. Exactly. We don't know who's putting the money in. And in fact, I saw one report today where uh, while Donald Trump was running around talking about China, uh, there are Chinese investors in the company. But see, you can't tell these MAGA folks nothing. But see, that's how stuck on stupid they are. The, 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 thing, here for, the thing here for me, and Greg, it trips me out. I, I had these folks, man, uh, 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 you, uh, you ain't down for black people's economics. And I go, really? So mm -hmm. every Tuesday, we feature a black-owned business for free to talk about their products and how they built it every Tuesday. Every Wednesday, we have a black-owned tech company doing the same thing. And, and it's nothing personal. I had somebody go, well, man, why you ain't had Claude Anderson on? I said, because I actually have people on who's doing what Claude's talking about. See, this is, let me just go ahead and say this right now, that if there's something I need black people, and this and, and this ain't directed at Claw, but I do need black people to listen to what I'm about to say. We have got to stop being excited by rhetorical flourishes. Mm. 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 Listen to me clearly. We love to listen to people talk about Come what on. we should be doing. Come on, facts. As opposed to listen to people who are doing what others are talking about. And the only reason I'm using Claude Anderson as an example is I've met Claude before. I like Claude. But I'm actually doing what Claude talks about. One of the things Claude Anderson talks about is to build a black community, you need a media apparatus. We built it. He says you use your media apparatus to then tell the stories of other black people. Boom. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. So when people go, man, you need to have them on. I'm having the very people on who he talks about. See, that's the thing people understand. See, what y'all got to do is go to the Breakfast Club and look at the views. And, and look, they, they'll have this person, that person, oh, a million, two million rhetorical flourishes. We love mm -hmm. people who can turn phrases. Man, they were dropping that knowledge. They were drop. Okay. <laughs> what are we going to do with it? Mm. See, I'm about doing something with it. That's why y'all can run the video. We can add on TV one. When I turned to Mark Morial and I said, Mark, we I want to come back here next year. And the Urban League has created a hundred million dollar gentrification real estate fund to go buy a property. I'm tired of talking about gentrification on these damn panels. 
I want to talk about us creating the crowdfunding campaign, but we actually did it. Right. The right. brother in Atlanta, I think it was named Jay Morrison, did that. Whole bunch mm -hmm. of folks, man, but the brother, he ain't shit. I said, hold up, now, see, see, now we run around, we run around, see, see, see. what folks should do, then we talk about <laughs> what folks should be doing. Last night, oh, we had my brother Isaac Hayes III on. When he came on the show, they had raised 150000 via their crowdfund in the first 24 hours. This morning, he posted, they've already hit 300000 on their way to raising $2.5 million. Y'all, if we're going to do something in 2022, it's time, uh, and Greg wanted to speak to this, where we stop flapping gums, where we stop rewarding people who talk a good game, and then we start saying, no, what are we doing? How did we grow? How do we get bigger? How do we expand? I am tired of, I am 53, turn 53 in November. I'm not interested in the woe is me conversations. This is about how do we achieve progress? And that means on the city, county, school board, state, federal level, private business, corporations, you name it, was not going to happen on this show. And I'm going to tell you, I had somebody to me, man, why don't you have uh, this brother? I said, you want me to put somebody on who all he does is trash me on YouTube and won't even show his face? And I'm sorry, what expertise does he bring to the table? You want me to bring somebody on who all they do is talk in front of a wall and got a bad lace front and all they do is talk about other black people and mm -hmm. they, they don't have anybody of consequence on their show. So y'all want me to put them on my show. Mm -hmm. This is what I've said. All them people can go talk on YouTube by themselves. They can go on IG Live, Facebook Live. They can go on all the lives they want to. But what I'm not going to do is put on mess to create mm. mess when all we have in the black community is a whole mm -hmm. bunch of mess. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ain't interested. Mm -hmm. That's why y'all ain't gonna see now. Look, now Reese love them housewives shows. That's fine. I don't care. I'm good. <laughs> I know. I, I, see, I see your tweets. But y'all need to know, you ain't gonna never ever see a housewife on this show. And if they and, they, and if they come on this show, they not gonna be talking about none of them housewives. Cause I'm sorry, I, I got finite time and I have limited time for mess. That has to be our focus in 2022, Greg, moving forward, forward progress and not just talking about what we should be doing, but talking about what we are doing. Go ahead before I go mm -hmm. to break. Absolutely, well quickly, I mean, here we are on the fifth night of Kwanzaa, Nia, Nia means purpose. And, and that purpose speaks to working together as a community to advance. Unfortunately, there is no definition of black community. You framed it perfectly, Roland. Up until the end of American apartheid, we were forced together. But after the end of legal apartheid, what you see is, and you've seen it happen in South Africa since the end of apartheid there in the 1990s, you've seen in that community what happens in all communities in a capitalist society. The black elite begin to distance themselves. So, so there is no we, so to speak. The same people, and I'm not talking about black people, the same people who are funding Clubhouse so they can lose money for years and it never matters who can inject in chaos. The same people who are doing these shadow investments and just going out giving people money are the same people who paid your mansion. 
They're the same people who don't want the White House records released. They're the same people who are have uh, uh, Ron DeSantis in witness protection right now as people are dying in Florida. They have an interest beyond that. We have to start treating this country the same way everybody else treats it in that category as a means to an end. And so the political, uh, what you're doing here is not being done anywhere. You have people who represent the full range of opinion, idea, and work in Black communities globally. That is a fool's errand in some ways, because what you imagine, like what the rest of us try to imagine, is that Black community means something. But in mm. fact, the material reality is that it does not in a capitalist society. People will often pursue their class interests. Now, now how does that relate to what Reverend Barber was talking about very quickly, because I know we're going to break. The simple fact of the matter is that Andrew Young in Atlanta and Maynard Jackson in Atlanta were not Marion Barry in Washington, D.C. They came out of different traditions, although closer uh, uh, young to, to Barry. But Marion Barry's commitment was to grassroots empowerment and he used collective political office to that end. Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Young's commitment and uh, Maynard Jackson's commitment were no less different, but their concept of getting there was different, which is why Martin Luther King, shortly before he died, when, when Andrew Young began to engage in a critical examination of King's philosophy, said, no, Andy, I don't want to hear from you tonight. You're a capitalist. This so Reverend Barber represents when he says this moral tension is going to emerge. There's the, the crisis in this country is a material crisis, and the reason Black people look to the federal government is because in the annals of this country's memory, the federal government has often been the in loco parentis or the heavy to weigh in with the interests of Black people. When basically the first Reconstruction was the North allowing the South to have home rule as a, as, a, as a condition for keeping the country together. The second reconstruction was black people trying to violate that principle. And what did we get for the last 50 years? A violent pushback. If we keep this up, it's going to be some violence from the state. And Merrick Garland ain't going to do a damn thing about it. Finally, here we are on the verge of what Reverend Barber might call a third reconstruction. But that will only take place if we understand that if the Urban League bought up a billion dollars worth of property, and it displaced people who don't own homes because the property value went out or drove them out of their own communities, then the Urban League would be part of the problem. This is a moral crisis. And what you're trying to do and what you are doing with Black Star Network is trying to bring everybody to the table to have a very serious conversation about which way forward. And until we have that conversation, we can't just use the color of somebody's skin as a proxy for group advancement because some of them Negroes are our enemies. And with that, we go to break. We come back. Mm. We'll talk with the parents of Kendrick Johnson, who are still seeking justice for the death of their son in Georgia. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
our age have lost the ability to focus the, the discipline on the art of organizing. The challenges, there's so many of them and they're complex and we need to be moving to address them. But I'm able to say, watch out Tiffany, I know this road. That is so freaking dope. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell Roland nothing because Roland got game. Roland is uh, one of the, the best lefties I've ever seen in my entire life. So Roland kicked my ass the last three times I played. So I really have nothing to say to Roland. Fashion advice is different. You ain't got to wear black and gold every damn place, okay? Ooh, I'm an alpha, yay. All right, you're 58 years old. It's over. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Oh, Chris sounds salty. Uh, he's not an alpha. It's all good. It's all good. And yes, uh, uh, rocking the black and old gold does not end when you leave college. It's a lifelong commitment. All right, folks, uh, a story that we told you about, God, eight years ago uh, uh, continues. And that is um, Kendrick Johnson was 17 years old when his body was found rolled up in a mat in a Georgia high school gymnasium. To this day, no one has been charged in his death. Many believe there was a cover-up. There's a documentary out that is called Finding Kendrick Johnson, and here's a sneak peek at that documentary. I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. Clowns, one. where's your emergency? Yes, I'm calling my son here to come home from school. Kendrick Johnson. You know, she said, have you heard from Kendrick? 12 o'clock, I knew he was dead. The body had been moved. The scene, in my opinion, had been compromised. When they said he climbed inside the mat to get the shoes, I already knew that was a lie. We opened the body in this particular case, and the organs were not there. Paper had been stuffed into the cavity to fill it up. Body parts are missing. Evidence is missing. And we tested it, and it was blood. And we did DNA testing, and it was not the blood of Kendrick Johnson. If it wasn't Kendrick blood, who blood was it? The parents hired their own medical examiner, who said this was a killing. An FBI agent's home was raided last month in connection with the investigation into the death of a Valdosta teenager. Supporters for Kendrick's family are calling for a Department of Justice investigation. What do you want? Justice! The Johnsons and their supporters now hope the FBI will get an answer to what happened to Kendrick Johnson. All alone, we know it was bullshit. We know it was bullshit. If KJ had been white, we wouldn't have had to make this film. Man, uh, joining us right now is uh, the parents of Kendrick Johnson, Jacqueline and Kenneth Johnson. Jacqueline, uh, we, we have your camera there. Uh, Kenneth, if you could turn your camera on, that would be great. Jacqueline, I'm going to start with you. I mean, th this, th there's some things to me that are real basic. And I remember when this story, when this story first happened, and they said his shoe was in uh, inside of a mat. 
And they talked about how heavy the mat was. Well, the first thing that I said from a common sense standpoint, if my shoe is at the bottom of a mat, all I got to do is tip the mat over and slide my shoe out. The logic of climbing down a mat to get my shoe just makes no sense whatsoever. Jacqueline, go ahead. Yeah, it makes no sense. They, um, I guess they just thought we were just ignorant dumb parents that were gonna um, believe anything they said. And it's just it it, it it was just it was just baffling. And and, and again, when, when you I remember the video came out and we begin to see more and more of this. It just I mean stuff just simply did not add up. Uh, the case was closed. Uh, so has the has the has a new U.S. attorney have they reopened? Are, are they examining the facts of this case? Uh, what what's actually happening right now? Well, right now the case is open, but they're not doing anything about the case. Um, the case was reopened just to satisfy the community because the sheriff that got in, got rehired back in for sheriff this year is not the same sheriff. And he promised the community that if he got rehired, that he would reopen the case. And so that's just what he has done, reopen the case. But he has not done nothing about it. Uh, it, it is just um, it, 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 just so many questions about this. Um, and I assume uh, doing this documentary is important uh, to continue uh, to keep this story fresh in, in the public's eye. Yes. To keep spreading awareness and let the people know that what happened is just what we happened, what we said from day one. Um. We're pulling my panel here, uh, Greg, Reese, and Faraji. Um, any uh, questions uh, y'all have for Jacqueline Johnson? Faraji, I'll start with you. Ms. Johnson, again, uh, our hearts and prayers and condolences go out to your family, um, especially at this time. Um, I remember hearing about this case eight years ago, and I was thinking to myself when Brother Roland was talking about it, I say, my gosh, it's been that long, and we haven't really came to any reasonable explanation of this. Not only would I would agree with Brother Roland on the mat issue, but to find that his his organs had been removed and all of those. I mean, wouldn't that, you know, what has been told to you and to your family about that situation? How did it get from him climbing to, 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 to get his shoes from an unrolled mat to his body being stuffed with papers and organs removed? Like, what was the lie? Or what has been the unexplained reason as to why that has happened? What has been said about that, Ms. Johnson? First, you know, about the shoe. We know that was a lie. Then when we found out, we didn't find out until the organ, the organs was missing until we had in second, I mean, um, our own pathologist to do an um, autopsy on KJ. That's the way we found out about the organs. But everybody is trying to say that the GBI got them, the funeral home got them, or it's between the transport. So, you know, everybody's lying. And then the sheriff told us you couldn't file a suit for the missing organs because it would be like you, he would be having a 
prosecute the GBI. Okay, if they're responsible for Kendrick Orgins, they can be taken down too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm. Mm. Reese. Miss Johnson, I'm so sorry for your loss. This is such a just horrific story. Uh, we've seen in, in recent times where, you know, um, I don't want to be insensitive here, but where it seems like it takes families like yourself really putting on display the amount of pain and the gravity of the loss that you suffered in order to move the needle. What are you hoping to accomplish with this with this film or documentary that goes into this detail? Are you hoping that it will lead to a renewed um, investigation or, or anything of that sort? I just feel like at this point, you know, in the documentary, it's enough evidence that they have gotten from the 17 boxes that were returned from the Department of Justice and the documentary where it, sh it clearly shows where the young man lied at that it's enough evidence. I just want a pr it's, this is a case that it's, it's been politics. They have turned it into a not, it's not about Kendrick dying. It's about covering up for people that supposed to support, have been in, that we shouldn't have had to be fighting for it. The people should have been in places, well they're in the place that they should have been doing their job. And so we're having to fight because of this, because of our skin color for our child that they don't feel like his life matter. They thought we were gonna be this poor black family that didn't care enough about our child that were just gonna let them tell us anything and we were going to go we were going to go away, but we're not going to get going away. Like I tell them and I always tell them they messed around and killed the wrong black child this time because we're not going nowhere. We're gonna fight them till the end. And there's no such thing. People keep talking about what does justice look like. There's no such thing as justice because justice will be my child here with me. That's right. Mm. That's Come right. On. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Greg, go ahead. Oh, uh, thank you, Roland. Uh, I was letting that resonate. Um, the, uh, the ancient Egyptians, Ms. Johnson, would have called that a stay by eat. That's a teaching. Not a lot of words. You don't need a lot of words when you say it the way that you said it. And I'm glad that you said what you said at the very end there because, well, all of it, but especially the end, because the language is changing now. Um, when we started seeing this latest iteration of killing of our, particularly our children, there were often calls for justice. But as uh, Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon Martin's mother, said many years ago, she's part of a group she never wanted to be part of. And I know that that's mm -hmm. the case that you, you never want to be part of this group. But the language has shifted now from justice to accountability. And, and with that in mind, um, watching the trailer, thinking about the ordinariness of violence against our children. Uh, my question is, what can we do to more directly join this fight? Because you made a very important point there. They, they, pick, they picked the wrong one to attack. They picked the right one to attack. We're not after justice. We're after accountability. What can we do to help you, Ms. Johnson, and help ourselves in the process? Well, we all, we got to stand as one. We do not want to come together unless it's for a for for fame or for stuff that is not important. We need to come together for Kendrick Johnson being killed in Valdosta, Georgia. We need everybody to come to Valdosta, Georgia to show Valdosta, Georgia, and the people in the state of Georgia that Kendrick Johnson's life matters. He went to school that should have been one of the safest places and was killed. In broad daylight with nothing done, nobody's still held accountable. And January will be nine years. 
Damn. Nine years will be nine. January will be nine years. Nobody has been held accountable. Thank you. It is um, again a very sad story. One we'll continue to cover. Uh, where is this documentary going to be airing, uh, Miss Johnson? It's airing um, on Stars right now. Okay. All right. Uh, we certainly appreciate it, Jacqueline Johnson. Thanks a lot. Uh, we were supposed to have uh, um, Kenneth Johnson, couldn't get his camera up, but we're certainly glad to have you here. Uh, and uh, keep us abreast of what happens. We certainly will continue to cover this case uh, and to seek that justice for Kendrick Johnson. Thank you. Folks, I'll be right back on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. I'm Arnaz J. Black TV does matter, dang it. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Stay woke. All right, folks, a weird story out of Alabama where uh, Judge Alabama Randy Jinks lost his job for racist and sexist remarks online and to staffers. Uh, that was one of the uh, uh, stories that we covered uh, this year, uh, which uh, pretty a pretty crazy, crazy story. Um, and uh, so there's some other stuff we'll talk about, uh, of course, 2021. So I'll start here. Uh, Reese, uh, big stories in 2021. What stood out for you? Obviously, Vice President Kamala Harris becoming uh, the first. I, 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 don't black. How, I don't know how I could have guessed <laughs> that was going to be first. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Duh. I mean, it can't be said. We made such a big deal about Obama, rightfully so. And then it's like a black woman becomes Vice President. It's like, oh, who cares? For me, the biggest story of the year is Vice President Kamala Harris becoming the first black woman, the first woman, the first black person to be the vice president. And I'll go ahead on her South Asian lineage because that counts too. Shout out to her uh, Indian folks. Um, but that's that's a huge story. I'm going to keep talking about it because apparently I'm the only person who seems to miss a big deal. So shout out VP. And she did a lot of things. I mean, if, if I get a couple more seconds, she did a lot of things that were very significant. All of the media focus outside of, you know, this show. I'm the one who goes hard for her all the time. But the mainstream narratives were all about stupid little piddly shit. But we didn't talk enough about the fact that she led the charge in terms of the mater maternal health crisis 
having uh, marking the first time Black maternal mortality was um, marked in the White House, as well as having an entire Maternal Health Day of Action. She recently announced a lead plan of removal in terms of the water and the piping and things like that process that she's leading up. Um, it was mentioned earlier about Black businesses and the changes that we saw in terms of the ability to access capital PPP loans. She led the charge with that along with Janet Yellen. I mean, there are so many areas where she led the charge on very significant substantive things that have not gotten any credit. I mean, we talk about the child tax credit, which had a significant impact on child poverty for Black people. She was instrumental in the White House support of that. And so I could go on, but it's not just about people. We talked about rhetorical flourishes. It's not just about rhetoric, it's about receipts. And if anybody ever actually looked at the receipts, they are plentiful when it comes to her impact in terms of HBCU funding. And pretty much, and this is what I have on good authority, everything that, it, that impacted Black people was something that she fought for in that seat as the vice president in the White House. So we cannot just talk about representation without talking about the results that we got from her being in that seat. All right, Faraji, what stood out for you in 2021? I think the biggest story for me uh, for this year, Brother Roland panel, January 6th. I cannot get past reading about how January 6th continues to kind of unfold, how it's bringing in uh, former President Trump, how it's leading to investigations, to, to the you know, of course, the House committee um, hearings, to, to even some arrests. I mean, I have never seen something like that ever in my life. I mean, when you got people literally scaling the walls of the Capitol, folks, and this ain't black folks, this is white people who are just so upset, so angry, so riled up. Um, I, I, it's, it has to be one of the most significant moments of our history in this, uh, of this country's history. And we're coming up on the first year already we're coming up on the first year, but how do you really uh, memorialize that? You know, uh, one of the, uh, and, 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 and Brother Roller, you can certainly help me on this. One of the big things that I took away from it is I saw that documentary, the police officer that has been a part of the, the, the hearings and he was part of the, I think the Washington DC Metro Police and I forgot his name, a white man. Mm -hmm. But to see his story, to hear Fannin. his story. Officer, officer Fannin. Officer Fannin, yes, sir, thank you to see his story and how he was almost murdered right there on the Capitol. I mean, that has to be, and I mean, if you, you're a political, political science person, or you just like to see, you know, a social science, I've never, ever seen that in my life. I remember just watching the TV in awe and shock. I mean, I was going through a lot of different emotions, but one of the big things that I gleaned from that moment What's the simple fact that if the United States United States government is falling apart for white people, where it has always stood up for white people, hell, we ain't got no chance. I mean, if it got to that point for white people, then we need to rethink our strategy on our relationship with this government. Because if, if white people are scaling the walls, not getting shot down, white people are scaling the walls, killing police, they're scaling the walls, and not truly being prosecuted, we have no chance in terms of moral redemption. We have no chance of getting the, the type of freedom and justice and equality that we deserve. That had to be one of the most biggest, the biggest moments for me, Rob Roland. Greg. Yes. Uh, I think 
while of course you know working at Howard University there's no way but to acknowledge the, the watershed significance of Vice President Harris's uh, election um, and of course ha Howard had its own crisis uh, predictable crisis uh, this 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 semester as a result of COVID and convergence of all the issues that uh, many universities are facing I think in in the weeks preceding her her inauguration or swearing in of course as you say Faraji I think this the story is January the 6th and everything that has taken place in that year since so I think mm -hmm. the major story is uh if this were a doomsday clock and the end of the United States as a as a country was midnight I think we moved a little bit closer to midnight in the year since January 6th with the critical race theory war which is a proxy war as we know by white mm -hmm. nationalists literally rather die of COVID or anything else the anti-masking the anti-vaccine campaigns uh the uh, abortion laws passed in Mississippi and Texas that the Supreme Court is set to use to overturn Roe versus Wade all of these the state house and voter suppressions which led to the uh election of a nut as the governor of Virginia and another nut who happens to be black as the uh lieutenant governor uh, all of these things speak to for me the biggest story not only of this year but really uh of the last four years beginning on election night 2016 which is that this country is closer to an open civil war mm. than it has been at any time since really the civil rights movement uh, there's a new book out by uh, Stephen Marche a Canadian who's written a novel called The New Civil War that's based on interviews with over 200 military folks and scholars and and activists and his his assertion is that when Trump gave that inauguration speech that famous American carnage speech and then a couple of years later, you see literal tanks on the streets of Washington, D.C. on the 4th of July. And then you see tear gassing protesters in the summer of the racial uprise. uprise. He said, what happened on January the 6th was just the next logical step. So the story for me is they are literally dismantling the apparatus of the federal state. My only question is, what are we going to do to stop it? Come hmm. on. Come on. So um, I think that when we think about uh, this year, uh, certainly, um, uh, certainly January 6th, uh, I mean, hell, six days in. And it was very interesting. My publicist, Tasha, got upset with me because I did a lot of media interviews and they would ask me, so Roland, what was going through your mind uh, when you saw it unfolding? And I said, I smiled. <laughs> and, and I sort of had a, uh, I did. I, I, I said, I smiled. You went hard I, in the face. I said I I, I I sort of had a Malcolm X uh, moment when he was asked about after Kennedy was assassinated. Mm -hmm. And I said, and the reason I smiled, I, and I remember because it was, we were in Georgia. Uh, also, that was another huge story in yeah. 2021, the election of yeah. uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. You know, we basically mm -hmm. moved to Georgia, spent five weeks there. And it was the, that this happened the day after the election. And we were actually at a, a black owned restaurant where they where the staff was um, just chilling, just taking in the wind. And it was on television. And I remember going over to the bar and we're sitting on television and I was standing there like this here and I started smiling. <laughs> and I said, America, y'all now get to see what we've been telling y'all was going to happen. I said, there's no more. Oh, y'all are just mad. No, no. I said, you now get to see what we told y'all was going to happen and it's happening.
And and I said I was glad that folks had to see it because see now and now what what has unfolded what has unfolded has been the recruitment. Pete Navarro admitting they recruited more than 100 House members and how Senator Ted Cruz leading the effort on the Senate side. Wow. See, see all of these different things. And now we hear Steve Bannon was right there planning and plotting. And he's still planning and plotting. Okay. And, you know, he also uh, got charged with contempt of Congress. And, and we could go on. All of these things are happening. And we, we told y'all it was going to happen. But now y'all seeing it. But see, now the question is, how do you respond? That's right. Now who goes to prison? We also, um, you know, uh, saw uh, significant, uh, you know, by having Reverend Barber, what, what they were doing, uh, the mass action, the protest, uh, we saw that happening. But also, I think what we what we also saw happen in this year, we did not see uh, uh, enough action in some other places. Uh, we saw the uh, the problems Black Lives Matter faced mm-hmm. when they publicly announced how much money that they had received. And I, I had to keep reminding people, a lot of folk made a big deal out of Black Lives Matter receiving $90 million um, in uh, in funds, but NAACP got about 130, 140 million. Hmm. Now they never hmm. released a number. National <laughs> Urban League never released a number. Hmm. Some other groups never released their numbers. But a whole bunch of folk profited off of the death of George Floyd. Come on now. And so you saw Patrice Cullors, who was uh, who was forced to step down. Uh, and so that uh, they've been going through they, they've been going through some through that. And if there was something that I think that we we did not see enough of, and I think this is tied to um, who's in office, I think it does, is action in the streets. Hmm. Um, we saw we saw uh, the rise in 2020 and the continuing 2021 of until freedom. Um, uh, what was happening? Um, the work they put on the ground, Breonna Taylor. Uh, we also saw a huge story in the big big story of 2020 was the death of George Floyd. Big story in 2021 was the conviction of the cop who killed George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't overlook uh, Derek Chauvin and what happened as well. So I think there are a a, a number a number of uh, things that we saw in 2021. But, but but what I think is consistent as we move into 2022. Uh, has to be something Faraji said earlier, something Greg said. Reese talks about it. And I talk about it all the time, um, and, and also put a pin in it. We also saw uh, our girl Erica Savage Wilson uh, uh, come back. She's doing well. Uh, matter of fact, she was on Facebook and Instagram Live just uh, I think today. Uh, and so y'all, it's a launch. Like, trust me, Erica was almost killed in that car crash. She's made a, a remarkable recovery. Uh, it was to the point where she wasn't even allowed to even watch this show and even watch television because of her traumatic brain injury. So I got to give a shout out for that. I think that what, what I think what we got what we, what we got to talk about is for us as black people. Frederick Douglass said it: uh, "Power concedes nothing without demand. Never have, never will. Agitate, agitate, agitate." Um, we simply don't have the luxury uh, to kick back relax, go chill in Paris, go hang out in Thailand, uh, take a gap year 
uh, that just doesn't exist for black people. Mm. Um, it just doesn't. And I think um, I think we have to we have to understand that we are in a constant pursuit uh, of tearing down Jim Crow, bearing Jim Crow, uh, fighting white supremacy, because we are in a battle for our future existence. In the first quarter of 2022, my book will be coming out called White Fear. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be dealing with that. Uh, and, and, and why is that important? Because um, that's what we're in the middle of. And I think that what, what, what we have to recognize, Reese, is that we also have to be, I think, far more strategic and smarter in, 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 in recognizing the white right buttons that are pushed mm-hmm. and then how we respond to those buttons being pushed. Mm. Um, I got an a email today of Simone Sanders last day uh, mm. working mm-hmm. for the vice president. When she was on CNN, I remember that was a segment that Corey Lewandowski was on and it was Simone, I think Angela Ride, and it was like one of the panel of eight people. <laughs> and they had this panel and they were discussing something and Corey threw something out and then Angela Simone jumped on that thing and took the whole conversation away. So I remember I ran into Simone, I was walking down the streets of D.C. And we... Um, we were, uh, she's like, well, I, I got, I got, I got something I want to run by you. I said, well, look, I'm busy. You can carry my bag and follow me where I'm going. So she did. So we, so we, I think we went to the ice cream joint. We sat down. She's like, man, that segment was great. I said, no, nah, it wasn't. It was trash. Mm. She's like, she's like, what? I said, it was trash. I pulled my laptop up. I said, let me show you just what happened here. I said, this was a conversation. Corey Lewandowski threw something out. Y'all chased him down that rabbit hole, changed the whole conversation. I said, watch. And I played it and I rolled it back. I said, see, what you should have said to him was, uh, Corey, nice try. We'll discuss that tomorrow, but this is today's topic. Mm. He's like, wow. So I think, Reese, when you look at the, because I said this about critical race theory. The moment mm-hmm. it happened, I warn everybody, don't chase that down the rabbit hole. It had nothing to do with critical race theory. It had everything to do with getting white folks angry for the 2020 elections. Mm. And folk chased it. And I'm like, played right into their hands. Mainstream media went right behind. No, we need to explain what it is. No, you don't. They already know what it is. But you're playing their game. And so I think one of the things that we have to do is be very strategic, not playing their game but always executing our strategy in our game mm. Ooh, you're absolutely right you're absolutely right um i think we see it in terms of playing their games and playing into the hands of republicans they are really experts at messaging about setting the narrative and then putting everybody else in the position of you know, basically battling on their terms. But we also see this happen even within our own Black community. And, you know, I find being a person who's constantly pushing back on disinformation that I'm constantly having to fight on. I have to constantly push back on the same, I will say not even five, a handful of the same narratives that, you know, really permeate 
the entire discussion and that's the terms of the discussion. And so I think we have to expand what our lens is focused on. I said it earlier and I, I just can't emphasize that enough. We have to really expand what we're really looking at. If I hear for 2022, we ain't got the George Floyd bill, we ain't got the voting rights bill, and disregarding everything else, I'm going to lose my shit because yes, we don't have those things. But meanwhile, we're taking our our eye off the ball on so many other things. I didn't hear a lot of people, you know, push back on this whole speaking of white, white is right, you know, um, attitude that we have even within the Democratic Party in terms of selecting candidates. We have a lot of very qualified black candidates. You've had them on your show, Roland, who are running statewide offices, whether it be for governor or for Senate. And, you know, even at times black people, we're guilty of perpetuating the, well, they're not going to let a black person win kind of um, attitude and undercutting the black candidates until they start to show some polling that shows them in the lead. And so 2022 is gonna shape up to be a big year and we don't have to just fight against the white supremacist narratives that are going to really set a lot of the discussion in the mainstream media. We have to fight against the, I'll call it black on black crabs in a barrel narratives that really cause us to undercut our own, um, even within our own community, because 2022 is going to be about formal voter suppression, meaning, you know, that going in through the laws that are passed at the state legislature, but also in what's happening in social media. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, I saw the CBC wished um, a Merry Christmas and the all of the comments under there were black or black, black purported accounts who were just trashing them, talking about reparations, which everybody in the CBC actually supports, um, and a number of other things meant to really um, uh, undercut the CBC and make it seem like they're do nothing. I've never seen that kind of engagement under Mitch McConnell, under any kind of House or RNC accounts. And so we're fighting our battles as Black engaged voters and Black engaged people on multiple fronts. And so I just really want us to be aware of all of those things, because it's very easy for us to sit around here and talk about, you know, how the white supremacist narratives and, and, and all the other kind of stuff. But we're really, really ignoring the detrimental narratives that we are seeing um, in our own conversations that aren't really being brought to the forefront or challenged. Brother Roller, can I add to that? Yep. Yeah, just real quick. I mean, I think that that Risa, you're on to something. And I want to add to what you, Brother Roland, what you and Dr. Carr were talking about when you were saying about rhetorical flourishes. I mean, if you've been in the in the in the work of movement building, if you've been in the, you know, any black space, you know we love rhetorical flourishes. We love people to sound good. And I've I've had my fill of rhetorical, you know, flourishes. But I think when you you actually a very quick uh, you know, pivotal question, Brother Roland, you said, you know. Why are we still in that space in 2021? It's simply because, and this is what, this is the only thing I can glean from it, is because when you are sitting there listening to a lot of uh, people who are talking Black, who are talking this and talking that, there's no responsibility. There's no, there's no, there's no commitment to that. There's no sacrifice that is required to take yep. those rhetorical flourishes and making yep. them real. And so that's one of the big reasons why we love to stay in that space, because we could talk about the great ones that came before us, the contemporaries that are among us. But when you're talking about who in the generation right now, who of us are going to be the next torchbearers, who of us are going to be the next, you know, cadre of freedom fighters, 
that number gets so small. You and I know it. The number gets so small, it's almost not seen. So the rhetorical flourishes is like a, a, a blanket. It's like a security blanket. It's, it's easy for us to hold on to because when you go outside and you actually got to put some work in, that's a whole different level of love and commitment. The other thing is something that you speak about all the time. And I think this is why we got to go into 22 into a different mindset. The fact is you've been asking for com these companies to support this platform, to support our shows, everything. The, re the, the, the fact is there is a science to demanding. And yep. we don't understand the science of demand. The great most honorable Elijah Muhammad, he put it on the back page of that world-class famous newspaper, The Final Call. He said what we believe and what we want in that he talked about having the United States to carve out a few states so we can get some land of our own and we can start our own thing, right? But there was a science to that, to that demand because in as much as he was asking for the United States government to do that, he was talking to black people about doing for sale. And some people say, well, why would he ask for something from this government when they know, when he knows that they may not give it to him because he wanted the world to see the hypocrisy of what they claim, the hypocrisy of the fact that they, you know, you have companies in corporate America say, yeah, we were black people. We look at all of the companies that have pledged to support racial justice uh, programming and social justice acts after George Floyd. All of those companies, Walmart, Target, all of those companies. And then hardly any companies really put up any real money on the table. No money. Can we, you didn't see a big influx of money coming into black media. You didn't see a big influx of money coming into social justice organizations. So what are we saying? There is a science. You got to show people that, look, these are hypocrites. You got to show black people. They don't really have your best interests at heart. We, we, we put the demand on them. Now, why do you keep believing and hoping and wishing upon a star that they're going to change their ways. So we got to understand that there's a science to all to that demand. So I just wanted to throw those two points out there because mm -hmm. we're going into 22 and we got to reassess our strategy on our relationship with each other, our relationship with the United States government, and of course, on our role in this time, because you, I'm with you, bro, Roland. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have the liberty to say we're going to take some time off Man, please, the battle is far from one. We heard that from Reverend Barber. I'm just ready to keep the, uh, keep the movement moving. That's where, that's the I, place I'm I, at. I, I think the point that the project makes there, Greg, is, is, is an excellent one. Um, it's interesting. Uh, there were some people in, um, I sat down with Minister Farrakhan for preceding the 10th anniversary of the Million Man March. Mm -hmm. And we talked about failures coming out of the million man march mm. and and one of the things that he said was there were a lot of people who were critical of the million man march who did not stand with us to create a plan of action um after uh the million man march and um i challenged mr farrakhan okay what's going to be the plan after the 10th when he came on my TV one show preceding the 20th anniversary, we had that very same conversation. Um, and there are people who were, well, uh, 
uh, why don't you challenge uh, the brother minister like that? I said, well, first of all, it was a conversation. I said, uh, Mr. Farrakhan wasn't expecting to sit down with me and have a love session. I said, because he knows ex not exactly how I operate, uh, which he has actually expressed to me personally offline in terms of challenging. What, what Faraja just laid out there is, I would dare say, the, and I would say this, the one thing I think many people, not just black people, most people are afraid of is accountability. Mm. You're absolutely right. Oh, it, it's easy to sit there and listen to a speech. It's easy to sit there and listen to a sermon. I love it when people say, oh, man, that preacher, man, he was preaching. And then you go, what was the scripture? Mm. What they really were referring to was the hoop. Of course. They were referring to the hoop, which is the emotional part. But if you can't tell me what the scripture was, in fact, my, my wife will tell you if we're sitting in church, uh, she can tell you whether or not the preacher is having an impact on me judging based upon uh, my notes. <laughs> See, I take copious notes. Mm -hmm. If she looks over and all she sees is the date, the name of the church, the <laughs> preacher's name, the title of the sermon and the scripture, and she don't see nothing below that, that means he or she ain't saying nothing that's resonating with me. Mm. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of preachers <clears throat> who know they ain't preaching or saying nothing. So what they'll do, Greg, is they will immediately go to the cross. Mm -hmm. See, some of y'all gonna get that. So what happens is they'll go to the cross because the goal, when you go to the cross, it automatically elicits a response from the people. So the sermon is awful. And then they'll say, on Friday, all of a sudden folks stand up, start shouting. And then they, then they go on Sunday morning. Yes, sir. And this is me sitting there. And I'll turn to my wife. And I, there's a certain preacher, I ain't going to name the church, but... He's he's a he's a an associate pastor. I'd be like, he about to go to the cross. <laughs> he about to go to the cross. Yes. Sir. <laughs> so, I, and I need y'all, everybody who's watching and listening, to understand that there are people who are on TV, on radio, on podcasts, mm -hmm. who they go to the cross. Mm. They ain't saying nothing else. Mm -hmm. They not talking about what's the plan of action to come Monday. All they focused on is that event. Every time somebody has 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 a march, I go, y'all done data collection? What's the plan after the march? Mm -hmm. See, that's really, I think, where, 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 where we have to be. You know, we this year, I knew, I knew we were going to be launching uh, Black Star Network. I knew that three years ago. Hmm. So there was always a plan of action that was involved. It was always a building to that. And then when the haters were sitting here running their mouths, I was like, yeah, whatever. When they were doing videos saying, oh, he doing this, whatever, because I don't I don't work for them. I work for the people. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe where we have to be in 2022, um, uh, Greg, is we have to be willing to show the hand to the haters, to tell them to move on to their own divine good, mm 
So if mm -hmm. they want to go, if they want to go talk, go on talk. Come on, go on talk. Cause they hit me up. They like, man, you need to come on so and so page. Man, she killing you. Why am I gonna talk to a fool? Mm. Why am I about to invest time, energy talking to a fool? No, where we have to be, if we are serious about black advancement, then we've got to be serious about not only announcing something on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but we got to be focused on what's the plan for the next day. That to me is really what our goal has to be in 2022, Greg. Yes, sir. And it's more than just words, it's action. And you've shown us with your action, Roland. Uh, you told that story many times in, in this space in TV One. You know, the first time that we met was a was an argument, but it wasn't an argument. It was just two brothers who began to get to know one another because underneath any disagreement, agreement, any is love. And mm -hmm. what people have to understand is I don't know anybody who works harder than you do. And all of those hours, except for the handful that you spend in this public facing space, are done out of the view of people, but they're done with love. I've seen you in all kinds of circumstances. We watched you in Georgia with your arm draped around that little boy. We seen you in the streets. We saw you down there in Atlanta risking your health and having a, a bit of a health scare, which is why you in quarantine with all those young brothers and sisters come from South Carolina State and Jackson State. That's love. You can't fake that. And, you know, I don't know what a conservative Christian is. I think that's an oxymoron. If mm. I understand entity, in mm. fact, you can't be conservative and Christian. So when you say they go to the cross and, you know, I'm a Southern like you. So we, I know what that means, brother, when they go to the cross. But it seems to me, and I might be misremembering scripture, but it seems to me that Christ was hanging between two people that day on Calvary. And mm -hmm. what he had said in the words of the Reverend James Cleveland, so, well, if you are the son of God, why don't you come down off that cross? Christ seemed to, I'm not going to put, attribute actions to the Christian Savior, but it seemed like he gave a, 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 a little bit of the hand to that guy because the other guy said, well, I don't know whether you are or not, but if, if, you, if you're coming into your kingdom, remember me. And Christ said, this day, you will be with me in paradise. And, and I seem to remember old song we used to sing, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free. No, there's a cross for everyone. And mm. there's a cross for me. So if you're a true Christian, if you're a true Muslim, if you, if you truly believe in the Odu Ifa, if you're a practitioner for real of Odun or Karamble or Santeria, any of our spiritual traditions out of Africa, then you know it's not rhetoric that you must do for the least of these. William Barber risking his physical health every day. It isn't just his physical health. He needs bodyguards. You know why? Because the state is not going to go quietly when they are serving the interest of the money changers. The same class that Christ put out of the temple again if i'm remembering my scripture correctly and so what you're doing and what you've been doing with this plan is that you're working and have been working out of love and sacrifice so that the rest of us would be around in a space that can help bring our people together mm. and sometimes i mean you have the gift of speech there was another man i remember who became an ancestor over the since you know we were here last year the great bob moses who was a man of very few words Mm -hmm. I knew Bob Moses. When Bob Moses spoke, people listened to him because he was doing his work out of love and sacrifice. Melvin Van Peoples used his camera, but people watched and understood that while they may not agree with everything Melvin Van Peoples filmed, they certainly went to see it and supported it because he was filming and making out of love. Gloria Richardson, 
the same way, standing down those bayonets in her home in Maryland, Cambridge, Maryland. Eloise Greenfield, the children's author, all of the ancestors who made transition, Glenn Ford, the journalist, Cicely Tyson, the actress, Bunny Whaler, the musician, even a man like Franklin Thomas, the first black head of the Ford Foundation. Well, this bourgeois Negro is in these suites. No, Franklin Thomas was like, I came out of bed style. And when you see me, you see everybody who grew up in that community. Come what on. the Black Star is doing is reminding us that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many words you speak. At the end of the day, we know you by your deeds and your deeds, if they are done in love, will insulate you from all those haters who may be hanging on the cross next to you. Come on. Let me, the, the, the point that Greg has made, uh, my frat brother and I, Todd Brown, we always have this conversation. Um, and, and Greg alluded to this earlier, that there are a lot of people uh, who are black, who are in it for self, hmm. That's right. as opposed to in, as opposed to in it for community. That's right. And so I think it's important for us to understand there's a difference between people who love themselves as opposed to who love black people. When when we were in Ghana in 2019 for the year of return, there were so-called black people who were critical of us talking about the 400th. They were critical of us talking about the tourism and how much Ghana was making as a result. And they said we should have only been focused on black people in America. And they start coming up with new names and new acronyms and, and all of that stuff. And I remember talking to Brother Conrad Worrell, mm -hmm. who um, gave his last interview to Mark Thompson and I. He knew he was dying before the election and he implored black people not to vote for Donald Trump, but to vote for Joe Biden. And, and I think about these people, I see a bunch of them on the YouTube chat, some on the Facebook chat. Oh man, you be telling folks to vote for Democrats? No, I say to vote for black interest. Mm-hmm, that's right. Whole mm -hmm. bunch of y'all, whole bunch of folk out there. I see y'all, y'all be hollering about reparations. Not one Republican supports reparations. So you're only going to get it through one party. Hmm. <laughs> so you telling me not to have a conversation about Democrats, but you support reparations, but it ain't going to happen from any Republican. Hmm. Yeah, some of y'all might want to think about that one. The question is, who loves your people. That's right. There were people who they, they, they oh my God, you're putting that foul mouth woman recently <laughs> on your show. <laughs> well, as soon as you said foul mouth, I knew you were talking about me. That's terrible. <laughs> they were like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? All that woman does is cuss. And then when Reese came on the show, Reese actually self-conformed. And I was like, what you doing? No, 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 you, 
you were invited to do you, not somebody else. Mm-hmm. Y'all, that was about how do you expand the voices? Tiffany Cross just celebrated her one year anniversary on MSNBC. That's right. Her her first time in front of the camera was on my show. Roland, this is my second year anniversary on your show today. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I know what I'm saying, but that's, but but it's community. See, I need people to understand you can love yourself and you get rich, you get famous, and it's all about your family, but do you, so when I see Reese doing Clay Kane's show on Sirius XM, I'm not mad. I love it. Yes, sir. Because that was the whole point. Come on. Come on. That was Come the on. point. When I see Tiffany invite me to her show, that was the point. It's called love of black people. Come on. And when we're celebrating our folks who've gone from elders to ancestors, or when we're talking about people who are doing great things today, the question is, do they love black people? That's it. Or do they only love themselves? That's, mm. that's exactly right. That's really the measurement. There it is. And so the challenge I give to all of you who are watching and listening in 2022 is what are you going to do to spread the love of black people? Mm. How do we all, I've told Byron Allen this, Byron, can't one black owned media company eat it all? Mm-hmm. Essence can't, Black Enterprise can't, Urban One, TV One, Radio One can't. But how about all of us eat? Come on. Mm-hmm. See, Preach. I want Byron, Black Enterprise, Urban One, Blavity, Essence, Black Star Network. I want everybody to eat. Come on. It's three hundred and twenty-two billion. Come on, man! Spent every year on advertising in America. Disney can't eat all of it. Mm-hmm. CBS, Viacom can't eat all of it. But see, when all of us can eat, then we grow. So when we see more black businesses building capacity. We are able to hire more people. I literally, my producer Carol just sent me four resumes of folk for jobs. Y'all, that's four more than we had at this time last year. Come on, man. That's how we have to be thinking. And so if you're one of these trolls (laughs) and that is your commitment to life, If you're one of these trolls and your what you are providing to black people is to be a troll on the YouTube channel. Come on. Is to be a is to be a troll when you make your own videos. Don't mm. go, go on talking to win. And if you one of those folks who watch them and listen to them, don't don't come tell me what they got to say. Cause I don't give a damn. In fact, I'm going to end up blocking your ass. (laughs) Because what we as black people can ill afford going into a new year 
is to be defined and held back by mess and messy people. I don't care how fine dressed you are. Come on, man. I don't care how fine you are as a person. Mm. I don't care how cute your face is, how uh, melodious your voice is. If you are full of mess, then you're full of shit. Those two meanings mean the same. Full of mess and full of shit means the exact same thing. And so I want our goal to be to build a stronger community. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to hit right now. We got 24,415 people who have downloaded our Black Star Network app. Uh, I would love for us to hit 25,000 by midnight on by 11.59 p.m. on December 31st. Y'all, that's when what this did, is all when about. Did Black Star, when did Black Star launch? It was 2020, launched, uh, September 4th, 2021. Oh, that's the story then. I guess maybe that's so the in, in, so in <laughs> three and a half months, uh, again, we're there. And so we're going to keep building. We're going to keep building, y'all. Because yes. that's what this is about. This is about the absolute love of black people. That's why we created the show. That's why we have the network. Uh, there are four, four shows that we're launching. We've been They've been in development for the past two months. We're launching those in January. There are four more we're going to launch in 2022 as well. And so that's where we're going. And so uh, thank you for all of y'all who've been on Long for the Ride. Uh, thank uh, Faraji, uh, Reese, and Greg. Uh, we're going to end uh, in this show, the final show of 2021, uh, with a look back at some of the amazing people, brothers and sisters we've lost. Uh, if we left somebody off, uh, charge it uh, to our head, not to our heart. Uh, I've been posting a lot of images on my Instagram page uh, uh, from my archives of folks we've lost as well. And uh, we've lost a lot of phenomenal people. But remember, there are a lot of phenomenal black people you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to bring them to you and to show you what they're doing. And again, if we can just keep continue to create more phenomenal brothers and sisters who are doing things for the love of our people, then we would indeed uh, be a much better community. Folks, y'all have a great end of 2021. I'll see you guys on Monday. And on Monday, you want to tune in because I will be debuting our brand new offices. Uh, they are complete. Uh, you, will, you will see exactly what we have been doing. Uh, and trust me, you do not want to miss a Monday show. I guarantee you you don't want to miss. You can see uh, how we built out and how you have played a huge role in us building out our brand new offices of uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered and the Black Star Network located on Black Lives Matter Plaza in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., two blocks from the White House. Mm -hmm. Folks, that's it. Here's our in memoriam. I'll see you guys on Monday. Holler!
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.